Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Hello again everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. Uh, let me just put my big click pen uh, away, otherwise you'll hear me clicking it throughout this podcast. How are you guys doing? Had a good week? Excited that it is finally December? Um, I'm hoping for less rain. Uh, I know the rains down in Africa are a, a popular song, but my lord, the, the thunderstorms have been so bad. Um, where I live, the thunderstorms have always been kind of manageable, and I've never felt the need to unplug all my electronics, but this last bit of thunderstorms um, tripped the power, uh, destroyed our microwave, and I thought my PC for a second was dead because I got a black screen while um, the, th- the, the thunder happened. Um, but everything seems to be working now except the microwave, and it's just been a hell. Um, so no, not a not a great start. Hoping it gets better. <laughs> yourself, Robin? Uh, just really, really tired. Um, got a new puppy, and I'm waking up at ungodly hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the joy of having a new puppy and mm-hmm. children, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll worry about that later. Anyway, let's get cracking into the news this week. Um, NVIDIA announced that they are releasing a new GPU, uh, the GeForce RTX 2060. Uh, hey, wait anybody, a minute. Yeah, if anybody who's <laughs> had a double take and gone, but that's not new, you are sort of right. Uh, NVIDIA is releasing an RTX 2060 that has 12 gigabytes of GDDR6 memory. Um, that's up from uh, 6 in the base RTX 2060 uh, that was released in 2019. And uh, it's up from 4, no, sorry, 8 gigabytes in the RTX 2060 Super. Um, so there's not really much difference here, if I'm being completely honest, aside from the uh, the, the larger memory counts. Um, the memory bandwidth is still exactly the same as it was in the GeForce RTX 2016, not the Super. Um, the uh, sorry, the memory interface width is exactly the same. Ports are slightly different in that you don't get a USB Type C connector. Um, essentially, the the, the the cards are almost identical. Um, the graphics card power is a bit higher because you're now dealing with uh, 12 gigs of memory rather than the six. Um, so the graphics card power now sits at 185 watts and the recommended system power sits at 550 watts. Still a single pin PCI eight, uh, eight pin connector. Um, and yeah, uh, the reason this seems to exist is because NVIDIA has an issue with uh, supplies of its RTX 30 series GPUs. Uh, they are also more expensive than uh, lower spec cards such as this. However, uh, NVIDIA told The Verge that uh, the RTX 2060 uh, 12 gig will have is a premium version of the RTX 2066 gig, and we expect the price to reflect that. Yeah, that makes me a little bit worried because locally, the RTX 2066 gig uh, retails for 10999 through EVTEC. Um, That's also the only place that I could find a a, a, a version of this card for sale. Um, So I don't want to know what this 12 gig version of the card is going to cost, but yeah. Uh, It's expected to launch in the US on the 7th of December, but it's not clear if that's around the world or just within the United States at this point. Um, yeah, Did sorry, they, you wanted to say something. Sure. Did they say how it's going to, okay, it's going to be more expensive than the 2060, but it is, is it going to be more expensive than the Super? Uh, I'm not, that's unclear. They didn't I've, say. No, and I hope it isn't weird. because the 2060 Super 
is better than both of these if you ignore the memory configuration because that well, has eight gigs. However, the well, memory bandwidth on the card should be better, right? Yeah, I mean, okay. eight, eight gigs is it's it's, it's enough. decent, yeah. <laughs> Um, and the bandwidth is higher, so you get 448 gigabytes per second, um, and the memory interface is wider, uh, and you get essentially the same thing, or the same, uh, you get better than a baseline 2060. Um, I just, I don't think that, I don't understand this card at all. I understand I what NVIDIA is trying to do. Uh, I get that they are trying to make headway in a market that has probably stagnated for them because they just can't move hardware, number one. And when there is hardware to move, nobody wants to buy it because it's very expensive. Um, however, I don't think that folks are going to be like, hey, here's a more expensive 2060. Um, buy this while you wait for a 3060. I don't see that being something that, uh, that buyers, buyers do. It just seems silly to me. Um, Can I give you my theory, Brendan? Yeah. They have, they did a stock count and they said, okay, we have enough on the table here to do something with the 2060 series. But they thought re-releasing the 2060 for a decent price would be too consumer friendly and not make them enough money. So they thought, listen, we can still get RAM relatively cheap or memory, um, the kind of memory you use that. Let's just bump up the memory, call that a premium increase and then re-release the card for a profit. I honestly think this is another... Um, consumer unfriendly move by NVIDIA. If they just said, listen guys, we know you're hurting to find memory cards. The 2060, the RTX 2060 is still a really decent card for gaming. We're just going to re-release it because we have stock of it and we're going to do it at a decent price. You guys are welcome. If they did that, people would be like, hell yeah, NVIDIA. Way to go. This is just a way to make more money. It's I'm really sour about all of this. And also, um, the 3060, which came out later than the other 30 series cards, it also has 12 gigs, and people were just so confused by why it has 12 gigs. <laughs> because the 3060, at best, you could maybe do 1080p, um, 144 hertz gaming. Some people have said with the 3060, you can do um, 1440p gaming, uh, but that's going to be really stressing the card. So mm. the 3060 has and always will be a 1080p, 60 FPS card. It's made to do max settings at 1080p which is the most common resolution but then they gave it 12 gigs and you don't need 12 gigs for 1080p so, so i was thinking like this week well, after this news broke i was thinking maybe this is uh, nvidia's play to get rtx in the hands of more people but i mean the 2060 isn't a very capable rtx card as it is and I don't think that 12 gigs of memory is suddenly going to change that. Yeah, they're not going to give it more. Um, they're called RTX cores. Eh? Yeah. I sometimes get those confused with tensor cores, but they do different things. Yeah, um, yeah it's, I'm very pessimistic about this. I think it's just a way to sell old stuff as new stock. Um, the testing, obviously, people don't have these cards to do performance testing. If it comes out and they say price per, uh, performance is good and the extra memory helps with that i'll eat my words happily i'll eat some humble pie but right now i'm very pessimistic and nvidia continues to i don't want to say they dropped the ball but they continue to be rather greedy if you ask me yeah right uh let's move on clinton uh you might as well have just kept talking uh you got some news about a shortage in pokemon yeah, not a shortage of pokemon games but a shortage in pokemon yeah this is very weird so the last two years have been just an endless i don't want to call it a tragedy it's been endless heartbreak of things not being in stock 
This is caused by the pandemic. This is caused by people um, being at home so they have more free time and maybe some more money to spend on luxury items. This is because of bots and scalpers who are making it horrible for everybody. But the common thing that happens now is some cool new product gets released and you go to the store page and it says sold out. And that's what we've had to deal with uh, in real life. But now we're kind of dealing with it in virtual life. So <laughs> the new Pokemon games are out, and we're actually playing them right now. Uh, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl. And in the game, uh, you can go to a city called Veilstone. And in the original game from 2006, there used to be um, a game corner here, which was basically where you could gamble. And that's a whole other story. Um, gambling and casinos in the Pokemon games have been a whole issue i won't get into that but basically they replaced it with a, a clothes store where you can buy cosmetic items for your character that's all fine and good but when you go speak to somebody this guy says that there's a shirt that he wanted that was sold out now i think 99.9 percent of the npc dialogue in pokemon games is complete filler and throwaway that you don't need to worry about but this just when i read this you know if if you can't laugh you have to cry or the other way around i just thought why put this in here <laughs> Pokemon is one of the things that people have really been trying to find over these past two years. It's been one of the biggest, again, don't want to say victim, it's been one of the biggest pain points for collectors because Logan Paul and some other celebrities made Pokemon cards really popular again. And for the collectors, they can't find stock anywhere because there was printing shortages, there's such high demand, sculptors, robots, all of that, right? So now, whenever you see a new product drop for Pokemon, you can go on Twitter and just see everybody in the US, in the UK, even in Japan saying, there's no stock of this. I went to the site at midnight, at one second past midnight, it was sold out. And to put this in the game and say, oh, I'm shocked, this thing is sold out. It just, it really struck a chord with me. And it's something that I also wanted to write about because it's important to remember that this game isn't made by Game Freak. The main developer on this is a, another Japanese company called ILCA. And in the story I wrote about this, um, and Nintendo Life actually has a, a, a nice feature by, about the company where you can read about and all of that. But it, it's really telling that this wasn't made by Game Freak or the Pokemon company, which is the company that oversees this whole um, IP. I really think an employee at ILCA at some point is or was a Pokemon fan and they wanted to buy something and they got that sold out screen and they thought, yeah, I'll show you. I'll put a little piece of dialogue in this game. I honestly really think that's what happened. So I just want to share, this is just a little lighthearted story that I wanted people to see. And it's just, it's one of those things where you get so hurtful with things in real life and you play a game to forget your worries and then those problems are in the game as well. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. Maybe I'm looking into this too much, but over the last two years, you know, I'm ready to complain about anything because things have been so bad. <laughs> so check out my story on that. Um, I'll have a review on Pokemon Diamond and Shining Pearl soon. We got our review copy late also because of stock issues. So <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's a whole uh, snake eating its tail. Time we'll is have a circle. A, yeah, flat circle. And I, I also have another fun story about this Pokemon game soon involving orbs. It's, it's very weird. Um, oh my goodness, are you seeing ghosts in them now, Clinton? No, it's about pondering the orb, Brendan. Okay, it's, right. it's the latest meme on the block. Okay. Um, check out my story on that. It's just some lighthearted fun, but it's um, got some sad undertones under the fun. <laughs> 
Right. Robin, you've got some news about South African publishers uh, challenging Google and Meta. Tell us more. Yes, that's right. So uh, Meta, formerly Facebook, um, I think for the purposes of this conversation, we'll stick to Facebook. Um, So as people may or may not know, publishers across the world have kind of been, um, I guess, airing their grievances with with, uh, Google and Facebook, uh, specifically as regards to compensation for their content being on those big tech firms' platforms. Um, and they are wanting, uh, I guess, a cut of the pie. Um, if, if a company is operating online these days, uh, specifically publishing content, um, being a part of the Google and Facebook ecosystems is simply a necessity. So naturally, they're wanting a bigger, bigger share as far as revenue they can earn. Uh, we have seen several publications shutter their doors as a result of the pandemic. And uh, more recently, we saw a publisher in Australia, with some backing from the Australian government, look to strong arm Google and Facebook into some kind of collaboration deal where publishers could actually get a a larger percentage of revenue. Uh, Both Google and Facebook uh, countered this and uh, kind of played a bit of chicken uh, with the publishers in Australia. Uh, Google acquiesced somewhat. Uh, Facebook did not. It stuck to its guns and it won out in the end. So the tactic from the Australian publishers had uh, very mixed results. Some would say uh, it didn't accomplish uh, its goal at all. Uh, and now South African publishers are... I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> yeah. just, I'm one of those people that would say that they, they didn't accomplish what they set out. Yeah, look, when you're taking on companies the size of Google and Facebook with their reach and the power they have, you're always going to be outgunned. Um, That kind of brings us to our discussion now as as far as South African publishers go. So um, a number of larger publications under the Industry Association, the Publisher Support Services, or PSS, are looking to fight with uh, Google and Facebook uh, in in some competition commission hearings uh, early next year. Um, specifically, the publishers in question here are Arena Holdings, Caxton Independent Media, uh, Mail and Guardian, and Media24. So there are some big hitters there as far as local publishing goes. Uh, I I'm not privy to kind of what their financial status is as a result of the pandemic, but they are—they they seem to me at least to be some of the publishers that can handle uh, any kind of blows that are a result of the pandemic uh, far better than, say, a smaller publication like our own. Uh, that's kind of neither here nor there. That's probably a discussion for another time. But they are looking to take Google and Facebook to court um, and try and get some kind of deal hashed out via the Competition Commission. Um, they issued a statement to us this week, uh, and one of the with the CEO and chairperson of the PSS, uh, a Mr. Hussein Kajaika. Uh, apologies if I'm pronouncing his name. Kajaika. Probably Kreiker. <laughs> You're probably right there. Yeah, he's the CEO of Mail and Guardian Media and then the chairperson of the PSS. So he, in his statement, he said, globally, platforms like Google and Meta have been publishing, have been using publishers' content at no cost to grow their market dominance. Our objective is to get them to compensate us fairly and equitably for our journalists' efforts. Uh, hence, we are making submissions of their behavior in the local market to the Competition Commission market inquiry into platforms in South Africa. 
So these hearings are set to take place early next year, like we said, uh, specifically sometime in January. There's no specific date uh, outlined yet, uh, but there will be in-camera hearings uh, planned for February of 2022, uh, and then we potentially kind of hear some of the arguments that are going to be made. Um, that said, uh, the inquiry from the Competition Commission will only be releasing its findings in October of next year. So this matter is going to be quite drawn out. Um, and it could be quite far-reaching depending on how Google and Facebook want to play it. As we have seen, as far as Australia goes, it looks like they aren't willing to budge. Um, at the time of writing and at the time of recording, we haven't had any official comment from either Google or Facebook representatives on this matter. Um, but we have seen in the past, uh, specifically with the Australian issue, that uh, heads of those specific markets for Google and Facebook have issued statements saying that Essentially, without their platforms, the consumer or the readers suffer. Um, so much so that Google and Facebook were sometimes uh, threatening to limit access to services as a result of the action that these publishers want to take. So it wouldn't surprise me if a similar tactic is adopted locally. That said, we still have to wait for the, for the response. Uh, they could choose a different tactic, but for, but for right now, it looks like uh, the SA publishers are uh, going ahead with their action and uh, best of luck to them because it, those are two companies you get you have to be really uh, confident about if you're going to be taking them on uh, like we said Australian publishers have, have struggled and the, the publishers that we mentioned a bit earlier they they might be the I guess the founder members that are leading this initiative but they are looking for other media organizations locally, locally to participate our story has a link where you can email um, them for more information about how to potentially join the initiative, uh, share some information as well. And yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those situations which will be really interesting to see play out um, purely for the fact of where, whether or not South African publishers can fail where others, or rather can, can succeed where others have failed. So I, I want to bring up with this. Sorry, Brendan. Um, yeah. I just want to bring this up quick. I was thinking, you know, maybe it would be a good PR move for them to just give this to us to just say, okay, we'll give you a few percent more. But then I thought there's no way in hell they're going to do that because even though we're an absolutely tiny market, especially con um, compared to a, a first world country like Australia, even though we're relatively small, um, they can't give an inch because then they'll have to go a mile. If they go into a court and they say, okay, we'll give you a few percent, they'll have to do that for the whole world. So I had some idealization in my head maybe they'll let us do it because we're such a small market, but then I thought there's no way they'll do that because precedent is such a big part of international law. I do just want to uh, throw to an analogy that I heard from an Australian YouTuber, actually, uh, last year. Um, her name is Anne Reardon. I uh, highly recommend watching her no, channel if you uh, watching watch. This Sorry? I was watching her before we started the podcast. <laughs> I was having a sandwich and I was watching her latest video. Anyway, yeah. So she, while this was all happening in Australia last year and early this year, um, she actually made a really good analogy about how Google and Facebook work. So she said, you got to imagine Google and Facebook like a bus and us, the, the users, are on that bus. And every few minutes that bus stops and gets a meal from a restaurant which in this case in this analogy is a publisher and then shares that meal with everybody on the bus and it does this for every single restaurant that it stops at 
um, because Google actually used this analogy saying that essentially what publishers are asking is for the bus driver to pay the restaurant uh, for bringing the people to uh, to the news. The issue is, is that Google, when you search for news, a lot of the time you can just get an idea of what's happening in the story by looking at what Google search results are. <clears throat> and many times uh, folks don't even visit the uh, the websites to read the full story or they're going to an AMP page where they can't serve as much advertising as they can on their, their actual page. So I think when you're thinking about things like this, it's really easy to kind of say like, oh, well, nobody's going to pay up to Google. But I think that what's happening in Australia and hopefully what happens here is that more people realize that these companies get all the benefits of having a publishing house without needing a publishing house. So I don't know how this is going going to happen, but I I remain hopeful, a positive state of mind, I think. Um, Can I do you one better, Brennan? Yeah. So let's go back to that bus analogy, right? Okay. Think about this. A common, I don't want to call it a scam, but a common tactic that people do in holiday tours is that people offer bus rides around an area like a city for tourists, right? And then the bus driver says, we're going to stop for lunch and the place we're going to stop is the best in the, the city or the country or whatever, right? Yeah. And they stop at a restaurant, but guess what? The bus driver knows the restaurant owner. Maybe it's their brother or their cousin, or maybe it's just a stranger who's paying the bus driver money. I think that's a more apt yeah. analogy. Just just think about all of that. I don't want to talk about it more because it could be construed as some libel or something like that. Yeah. I'm just talking about a scam that um, is pulled off. Usually I've heard it happening a lot in European holiday destinations. Just remember that. If you go on a holiday tour, sometimes the bus driver stops somewhere that he's been paid to stop. Right. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that as the, the situation evolves over the next year. Um, and obviously, as we as we have more information, we'll, we'll provide that to you. Right. Let's get on to some important business this week. Um, the meat and potatoes, as we like to call it. Uh, this week, President Simul, Simul, wow, Cyril Ramaphosa um, promulgated some aspects of the Cyber Crimes Act. Uh, into effect. So some aspects of the the act, keep wanting to say bill, but it's not a bill, it's an act now, uh, are in effect. And as a result, I expect uh, South Africans to become a lot more tame on social media. Um, Robin, do you want to just kick us off and explain what what, what happened this week? Because you covered this, this story this week. Yeah, I think to be... Perfectly honest, I was actually unaware that the, the Cyber Crimes Act had come into law, uh, well, at least aspects of it had come into law on 1st December. It was thanks to information received by a local law firm, Weber Wenzel, um, and their team there. They kind of unpacked all of this for us, which we really do appreciate. So as, as far as the Cyber Crimes Act, uh, they kind of mentioned that the partial commencement of the act ushers in a new era of criminalizing the ever-increasing and devastating incidences of digital crime. Uh, they did, however, mention that uh, while we are excited about this new development, we will eagerly await the commencement of the remainder of the Cyber Crimes Act to give full, a full set of teeth to this law. So as far as what has been, uh, I guess, commenced or is now operational, there are essentially four elements that people need to be cognizant of. So the first is uh, the types of cybercrime and malicious Communications, including sentencing of these offences. 
um, the jurisdiction of the courts, including over offences committed outside South Africa that have a local effect. Uh, it also uh, now gives powers to the South African police services and uh, investigators to investigate, search, access, and seize articles used in a cybercrime or malicious communication, and also gives power of the cabinet member responsible for administering justice to make regulations. Um, so I guess it is still very much the, the baby steps. Um, we can kind of unpack some of the, the elements uh, that are now operational, but I think potentially the one aspect that isn't operational yet is potentially the most, I wouldn't say far-reaching, but potentially the most impactful. Mm. Um, and that is that a person that complains of, of being subjected to malicious communication is able to apply for a protection order. A protection order stops the wrongdoer from further disclosure or requires an electronic communication services provider to take down the communication. For example, uh, publishing an intimate image of a person on social media without his or her permission. So uh, I guess colloquially speaking, we're talking about something like revenge porn or something like that. And I guess those are kind of the instances where the Cyber Crimes Act will need to have teeth. So I'll perhaps want to throw it to you guys. What are your thoughts just as far as the Cyber Crimes Act coming into play now? Uh, and potentially also, uh, one talking about I want to discuss is what role SAPs will play in this. Um, I remember a great uh, piece by John Oliver, one of his videos, where he spoke about policing and how a lot of society's problems often get thrown at the feet of police who simply do not have the correct training or, or the actual people power to kind of carry out things. So I just want to perhaps get your guys' thoughts first. So before we dive into that, I just want to highlight uh, a couple of things very quickly. So if you don't know what the Cyber Crimes Act uh, is, this is what the, the Act intends to do. Um, it intends to create offences which have a bearing on cybercrime, uh, criminalise the disclosure of data messages which are harmful, and to provide for interim protection orders, uh, to further regulate jurisdiction in respect of cybercrimes, to further regulate the powers to investigate cybercrimes, to further regulate aspects relating to mutual assistance in respect of the investigation of cybercrimes, to provide for the establishment of a designated point of contact to further provide for the proof of certain facts of a by affidavit, to impose obligations to report cybercrime, that is a very important one, uh, to provide for capacity building, to provide that the, the executive may agree into, may enter into agreements with foreign states to promote measures aimed at detection, prevention, mitigation, and investigation of cybercrimes, to delete and amend uh, provisions of certain laws, and to provide for uh, matters connected therewith. So essentially that's what it is trying to do. This bill is trying to make it so that South Africans have a bit more um, legal standing when it comes to instances of cybercrime. So if somebody hacks you, you can go and report it to the police and the police should be able to take over. That was that I just wanted to get that out of the way. What my thinking of this is, is that it's good, but it all depends on how it's being implemented. Um, for instance, Poppy is now currently in full effect. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I suddenly started receiving NetFlorist emails again out of the blue, uh, <laughs> e even though I no longer registered or I actively opted out of getting those mails. Um, and I still get cold calls from spam numbers. Oh, yeah. It all matters about how this thing is implemented. Um, further to that, uh, we have seen Poppy and the information regulator speak out about certain instances, um, it, particularly as, uh, as pertains to cybercrime. Um, however, I want to see more enforcement from the information regulator, and I'm, I'm kind of worried that as 
toothsome as this bill is in its its full form, I'm worried that it's not going to be implemented correctly. That's just my thoughts. Clinton? So I had some immediate thoughts jump to the front of my brain. Um, the first one is our uh, police services can barely function in many capacities. Now they're going to um, do cybercrime. Um, I'm sure they have some division already that exists, but how often do you see a news story saying someone was arrested for, I don't know, posting something threatening online in South Africa? Has it ever happened? A again, we're not lawyers. I want to put that out here. Even though we did get comment from lawyers, like Robin said, we're not lawyers. So just take what we say here with uh, that in mind. But are they really? So are we have had instances. I just want to step in here, Clinton. Sorry. Sure, sure, sure. We have had instances where South African authorities have collaborated with the likes of Interpol uh, to bring down people who share child sexual abuse material. Um, so in that respect, there is capability within the South African police services. Um, but to your point, it, it depends on how big that capability, how widespread that capability is. And it also intends, I mean, you kind of have to now go and train everybody within the police force to be able to know if somebody comes to report something that they aren't like joking around and trying to take a chance. Um, and as well as the myriad of aspects of cybercrime, right? Because, I mean, cybercrime isn't just saying, oh, this person said this and this and this about me. It, it's a whole list of things from ransomware to malware to uh, attacks to hacks. I mean, there's so many aspects of it. I struggle and it's part of my job to understand yeah. how this whole sector works. And I struggle to keep up with the developments in the space. I just um, want to say, I'm not, uh, when I talk about um, the police services not being knowledgeable when it comes to cyber crimes. I'm really not saying that as a slight against them specifically. Yeah. I'm just saying, like Brendan said, technology is confusing. Um, and most people aren't uh, technologically literate. And even if they might be able to operate a laptop or a phone or something like that, they don't know what a DDoS attack is. They don't know, maybe they don't even know what revenge pornography is. They don't know what uh not um properly uh, protecting the the passwords in the database are they just you know they they just don't know and again it's not their fault they just haven't been taught by the powers that be because the powers that be might be a I little mean, corrupt you don't, you don't expect a marine biologist to be able to operate a nuclear power plant right? no. it's, it's, need to be trained for their jobs yeah. and not being trained for the job is something that happens quite often in in our country not just our country but our country, it happens a lot, um, seemingly every day. So I'm just worried about that. The other thing I was also wanted to mention, and you actually brought it up there, Brendan, is how does this affect um, overseas perpetrators? Because like Robin said, one of the things that will be enforced now is if someone commits a cybercrime that affects South Africa. So if somebody puts out ransomware and a South African company is affected by that, what are our local police going to do? Um, are we going to extradite a person? How are we even going to find that person? Even in countries with great um, cybersecurity and cyber criminal laws, they even struggle to find these people. So what are they going to do? Um, so, you know, lots of questions about how this is going to be implemented. It's one of those things where, okay, it's on paper, but how do we turn that into something that affects the real world? Yeah. I think that if you look at places like the United States, uh, just recently there was an incident where um, two Ukrainian nationals 
um, were, well, one was extradited. They're still looking for the other one um, that was tied to dark side the dark side hacking group um they extraditing one person from there and charging them with a, a, a litany of crimes so i think what's nice about this this bill in particular is that it gives us the opportunity to say hey this person needs to be extradited so that they can stand trial in south africa which at the moment we don't have that in our legislation right so I think that from that point of view, even if it never gets used or doesn't get used regularly, it's nice to have that option in the events that somebody like, I don't know, Transnet gets hacked and their services are unavailable for almost a month. Um, and if you're able to track that person down and find them, um, I think that's, and be able to make them stand trial for the crimes they committed, I think that's that's nice. Um, obviously, as we've now mentioned, it, it all depends on how this is enforced. Yeah. Um, sorry, Robin, before we throw it back to you, because I'm sure you want to mention some other stuff, I just did want to mention something else that you, you said there, Brendan, about spam calling. Um, uh-huh. A lot of people, when you say spam calling, you think of some dodgy person in another country that's trying to scam you. But I think the spam that most people in South Africa deal with is... <laughs> quote unquote, legitimate companies who are spamming you trying to get them onto their servers. And my God, do I want to pick a bone with my way insurance? Stop calling me. I did not give you my number. Stop calling me. I've blocked two separate numbers that my way uses and they're still getting to me. My Lord. And then also, um, uh, it's not just me. I was speaking to my uncle. He said he's also getting called by my way insurance. So I don't know if someone found my family's, you know, whole contact list. I don't know if someone made that. But my way insurance, please stop. Uh, I wanted to know this probably falls into telecoms instead of cyber crimes. But now that you can just make a call off your computer, I think they're kind of becoming intermingled. And I know a lot of call centers, they don't actually have phones anymore. You have a headset connected to a computer. So I'm really interested in how the cyber crimes bill is going to mesh with telecommunications law. And man, they need to do something about South African companies sending SMSs and calls to people who don't ask for them. Cool. Robin, do you want to carry on there? Yeah, so I think uh, you guys probably make some good points just as far as the training of police goes. Um, I'm probably speaking a bit more anecdotally here, but I've heard several instances where a person will go to a police station and want to report a crime, but there is simply a number of factors that result in nothing happening, whether it be a police station being understaffed or the correct personnel not being there to assist. Uh, you think about uh, gender-based violence and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. And those kind of instances where the victims aren't being helped. So, again, I understand that now they're granting SAP's powers, but along with those powers, there needs to be necessary training and it sounds like a, a funny thing to say, but there perhaps needs to be a cyber crimes division within SAPS that is actually uh, better uh, trained to kind of handle these issues. Uh, mm. There was a, a special office that is meant to be created that kind of falls under elements that haven't been commenced yet, but that also potentially brings in a problem because if you go to a police station, um, and there's already a special office, office that's been created, you need assistance right then and there. So to be div- diverted or directed to someone else to assist you might not be ideal. It also could take a, lot, a long time. And if you are potentially being harassed 
or uh, you're being threatened in some kind of way, I guess timeless action is needed. So I, I, I like the idea of the Cyber Crimes Act. I th again, I think kind of pointing towards what uh, the Weber Winter lawyers mentioned there is that it doesn't have a full set of teeth yet. And, and that's probably the issue that I'm finding at the moment with it. It's that we are lumping this into, this, into the hands of, of SAPs when it potentially needs its own division that, mm. that can actually handle this. Because is this something that's going to be folded into police training? Uh, when talking about cadets and, and people that are getting into policing, is this something that's going to be folded into the curriculum for them as well? There are a number of facets that need to be looked at here because uh, in my story I mentioned that uh, Poppy took a very long time to come into effect and, and there are still elements of the Poppy Act that are not fully in effect yet. They're, they're still being hashed out. I feel like this needed more time in the oven or it needed uh, better planning in the background to assist what elements are coming forward now. That, those are just kind of my initial thoughts on it. So, uh, sorry, I'm just going to jump in here. The Act, um, the Cybercrime Act, Robin, it does state that there must be a, an office established uh, as a, a point of contact. So that's just to answer your question. However, I do think that maybe what needs to happen here um, is a collaboration and an earnest collaboration between the private sector and the public sector. Um, I'm not saying that our private sector is brilliant when it comes to cybersecurity. There have been incidents where big companies have been breached. Uh, however, that having been said, I think that they are perhaps a little bit more capable than the public sector at this point. Just given on, on a timeline, the private sector has been coping with um, cybercrime for a far longer period of time than I think the public sector has. Even saying that, though, I kind of cringe a little bit because... It's not like the public sector is immune to cybercrime, but I think that the processes that the the private sector has in place are more established. That's a better way of saying it. More established than those that are in the public sector. So I think there needs to be a lot. More, there needs to be a lot of collaboration in terms of the setting up of these, uh, the, the, how things are done in terms of reporting from a public perspective and just the private citizens' perspective, uh, and then also the policing side because as i mentioned the stuff changes so constantly um i believe ronald Mola said something similar this week during a, a statement um he said uh, another consideration is the evolving nature of cybercrime the methods of committing cybercrimes change rapidly and our laws need to keep pace with the more intrusive and complex investigative measures which are needed to investigate cybercrime um so i mean it, it, i think that government is aware of how big this task is um but I think it really needs to start working more closely with the private sector, not just in this. There's other aspects as well. Telecoms, uh, e-commerce, e-services, smart cities, that sort of thing. There really needs to be more of a collaboration with the, the private sector. But I feel like we see this time and time again where it's like, hey, the private sector and public sector need to, to collaborate. And then everybody's got a mouthful of teeth for the next couple of years. Something that I want to know as well when it comes to harassment is something that happened just this week where my friend, who I've known since childhood, and I know him very well, um, he called me the F-bomb on Twitter, right? Mm. And I know that's a joke. <laughs> but if someone saw that and they didn't know our relationship and they knew nothing about us, what happens if that person goes and reports that as harassment? Because my friend called me the F-bomb on Twitter. And I know that's a ridiculous extreme example, but it's when you're talking about law, you have to consider the extreme cases. 
uh, how will that be treated? Um, are they going? They, they're not just going to phone up my friend and be like, "Hey, did you really mean that?" No, that's not going to happen. And also, it's going to be like um, the thing, right? If you go on Twitter and you say "eat the rich," does that count as harassment? Does that even count as targeted harassment? You know, the rich are an identifiable demographic. So if you go on Twitter and you say "eat the rich," is is that illegal? How does harassment gel up against uh, freedom of speech in South Africa, where freedom of speech is so enshrined in our constitution, maybe even more so than in America, because of how recent apartheid was? Uh, again, maybe these are questions that, if we were lawyers, we could say X, Y, and Z. But again, we have to consider that we are, to a certain extent, average people. Um, and when we speak to our family and friends, they won't know these answers either. So... I've just got a lot of questions, especially around harassment, because I'm sure there's a legally defined definition of what harassment is. But like you said, Brennan, um, the internet evolves every day and the law might not catch up to it, even with this being brand new. By the time this is in court for whatever, it might already be outdated. So I was just thinking, you know, that happened to me this week. Does my friend need to now worry about what he did being counted as harassment? So I think it only matters if, or the only worry comes when it's somebody that goes and actively reports it, right? I mean, you're not, the police aren't going to investigate you if there's no reason to investigate you. So if there's nobody that, like, even if, just to give you an example, right? If I complain on Twitter that somebody is harassing somebody else. Twitter's going to investigate that. There's a whole bunch of things that happen behind the scenes. But if I say that I'm being harassed and it's not me that's being harassed, I'm pretty sure that people are just going to ignore you. Um, however, all of this being said, the real test of legislation is when it sits in front of a judge, right? Um, we're not going to know how effective or how well this legislation works until it gets tested. Um so thing like instances like you lay out, Clinton, I mean, I could say that they'd probably wave it off, like if somebody else reports it as harassment, but I, I, I don't know because I'm not a lawyer, number one, and I doubt even a lawyer would be able to answer that because I mean, it's something that's it's untested, right? We don't know how far this is going to be able to, how far you're going to be able to stretch this, this piece of legislation. Um, so yeah, it's really tricky. I don't really have an answer for you. So I don't know why I answered. <laughs> Another issue is potentially with social media, there can often be a lot of mob mentality to it. Mm -hmm. I think about, uh, the, the recent Euro, Euro football finals, um, England were playing in Italy and a, I think a handful of, uh, black players missed their penalties for England and they suffered a lot of online abuse. Uh, obviously, I know that we're talking about England, not talking about South Africa. But in that instance, for example, is what happens there? Because there were death threats, there were inc incidents of racist tweets being directed their way. Uh, given the scope and the scale of a, of a platform like Twitter, how do you handle something like that? So, it's it, for, for me, the, the Cyber Crimes Act is is a good idea. I, I like the idea of it, but the actual application and practice of, uh, as you mentioned, the internet, it is so far reaching and so nuanced. I am not fully sure that government is completely aware of all the different intricacies they now have to cater for. 
Uh, I, I like the fact that they're trying to do something about it, but now you actually have to follow through, otherwise this becomes another empty piece of legislation. So, Man, our, our ministers still call phones gadgets. I still can't get over that. That still makes me irrationally angry. Can't just call it a phone or a device or an electronic. It's, yeah, flipping gadgets. Sorry, so I do just want to highlight a, a tweet that I spotted yesterday from Kandani MCB, who is chairman of the board for NUMSA. Um, they tweeted something in October. I'm not going to repeat what they said because clearly it was problematic. Um, but I will read you the tweet that uh, they posted yesterday. So uh, yesterday they posted, on 25th November 2021, I posted a tweet that suggested that Mr. DeRata, Andre DeRata, the CEO of uh, ESCOM Group, stole 5 billion rand from ESCOM. That tweet was incorrect, and I deeply regret posting it. I sincerely apologize to Mr. Dorator for the effect the tweet may have had on his reputation. The tweet is deleted. So, in this instance, I think Mr. MCB got away with uh, posting an apology tweet and water for ducks back. However, under the Cyber Crimes Act, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he made this accusation, which clearly wasn't true, um, and ESCOM took him to court for it, or Dorator took him to court for it. I suppose you could take, or both, either or could take him. Um, so I think that in instances like this, it's it's really easy to forget about the times where there have been incidents where our authorities have come to the, the table. So I'm just thinking of things like Penny Sparrow and um, Julius Malema singing songs about shooting people that he doesn't like. Like there are mechanisms in place to deal with these sort of things. Uh, that's including the South African Human Rights Commission. Um, the SAPS to to a degree. So we do have these institutions in place. I think it's just moving it online to a place where those institutions now have a bit more might, especially when it comes to online things. Because I think a lot of the time that things happen online, it's, it's seen as, oh, it's online. It's not a real place. But more and more we find that that way of thinking is very, very outdated. And what happens online does have a real effect on people. So we do have mechanisms in place to kind of deal with certain things. I think we've seen that most recently now with a TikToker who decided to go on a rant following an incident uh, in Mulder's Drift where uh, a person was shot by police. Um, that person went on to a rant on TikTok, swearing and praising Adolf Hitler and using the K-word. And that incident was reported to the South African Human Rights Commission, which I believe is still investigating. There hasn't been an, an update as far as I'm aware. Um, I could be mis mistaken. But there are, there, are there are institutions in place that can deal with these things and can prosecute certain things. But I think that what this, this uh, act does is it gives more scope it gives a wider scope to those institutions i could be completely wrong and talking from my behind but in my head that's how this work that's why i see this sort of working obviously there are other uh, considerations to be made but hopefully this kind of puts yeah it gives those institutions like the south african human rights commission a bit more scope to do what they need to do whether that will be the case obviously remains to be seen, but I, for one, don't want to take that risk, right? I don't want to all of a sudden be called up by a lawyer or receive a lawyer's letter in my email saying, well, you know, you said something bad about somebody, that's considered harassment, you need to come to court. 
obviously it doesn't work that way i'm like speeding things along and americanizing it um but yeah i i think that hopefully the effect of this is that people aren't so quick to just say well you know bill gates uh constructed the pandemic you know like it, it stops to my mind people from making stupid uh, posts on social media that could have an effect on somebody else also just harassing people and doing the pile on thing for people that are not deserving of it just because the court of social media decided that this person was guilty for doing something so i'm hoping that if what this does is it makes people stop and think before they post even though i think that that's not going to happen people are just going to keep tweeting whatever they want and say posting whatever they want online also have to wonder um, about when you can start being charged for stuff because like you said, stuff on the internet exists forever in some way or another. But now this law is only coming into action now. Are people going to be persecuted um, retroactively? I know the law... Unless the law states that you can't make a law retroactive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then also, the thing about that is I, I'm also worried about... Um, screenshots and that makes me sound like, like I've seen some bad screenshots no I mean if you tweeted out some harassment right and it's public and the person hasn't deleted the tweet then it's still visible and anyone can see it but what if they go into someone's uh, dms into their private messages and harasses them there um, and then someone you know in the powers that be maybe someone in the police force they can't see those direct messages unless someone sends a screenshot which is so which is fine and well but screenshots can be altered so i mean you can just open in google chrome you can just open the html editor and make anyone say anything in a screenshot it you literally need no skill to do it you don't even need to know how to use ms paint to alter what a tweet says on twitter and take a screenshot of that so i'm just worried about how you provide the proof and i mean you even said in that um tweet about uh, the escom ceo that tweet is now deleted and sometimes tweets are preserved by places like the Wayback Machine, but sometimes they're not. So, again, it's, it's one of those things where I'm sure a lawyer has some kind of answer for this, but it, it's going to cause a bit of, I don't want to say panic, but it's just going to leave a lot of questions on the table. Sorry about the hooting that's going on on my streets. No, we it's didn't hear it. <laughs> weekend, Brendan. <laughs> it's December after all. Um, yeah, the rage was cancelled, right? So now they're gonna rage. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shame. I feel so sorry for them. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, I I want to just ask you guys very quickly. Do you think is this bill or this bill? See, I keep calling it a bill. It just sounds better on the tongue. I'm sorry. This act is this act going to change how you uh, carry yourself online? What you say online, Robin? Uh, personally, no. Pretty for the fact that I'm not really engaged with social media outside of what I have to do for work. Mm. Um, but do I, do I think it will stop uh, other people in general? Uh, unfortunately, the answer is no as well. Mm. I think that, again, unless we start seeing people uh, facing jail time or serious fines or some kind of action, or what uh, they do online in terms of harassment or some kind of cybercrime, um, nothing will change. Uh, I think only when people start to see consequences to others that they potentially can change their actions or their behavior. But for right now, no, I don't think so. These are just 
uh, not to downplay the importance of legislation, but these are just words on paper right now. Yourself, Clinton? So much the same as Robin. I mean, uh, I'm not breaking the law 99% of the time, um, except for like those weird laws where you can't have a fish on a Sunday or something crazy like they have in, in Britain. So, I mean, I'm not going to change what I do because I wasn't doing anything particularly unlawful in the first place. Um, that being said, I think if I have an in-joke with my friend where we call each other F-bomb or this or that, you just don't put that on Twitter because people aren't in on the joke and it could be interpreted differently. And again, it's such a small thing, calling someone the F-bomb. Um, but now it's just put that tiny seed of doubt in my mind where... Am I going to get in trouble for calling my friend I've known for like 15 years, the F-bomb? Um, yeah, so maybe I won't do that, but most of my life it won't be affected until they come out and say something ridiculous, like you can't say the S-word on Twitter or something crazy like that. And I don't think that's going to happen, so it's not going to affect me at all, I don't think. Uh, so, uh, they are, sorry, just on the, the mention of the private message thing, um, if you are... Uh, part of a WhatsApp group that's, uh, I don't know, going to use what happened in the US on September or January 6th. Um, if you conspire to commit a crime online or you're participating in illegal activities online, um, this is a friendly warning to stop doing that because uh, it's likely that those channels will start to be monitored as well. Um, not that they aren't being monitored at the moment, um, but uh, th there's a strong likelihood that what's happening online is going to be more closely monitored. And if you think that uh, government can't see WhatsApp DMs, um, they probably can't, but they have means to be able to access certain records. Um, and we've seen with uh, companies like, I believe it's the NSO group uh, in Israel, uh, that's literally sells espionage software to governments they exclusively sell to governments um and obviously bad actors as well we don't know what their client list looks like they say they only sell to governments but you know lord of war taught me that morals of people are very flexible um i myself am not too worried about what i do online at this point um mainly because i'm not doing anything illegal uh, at least in the current version of the law that we live in, um, and the South African law, to, to clarify. Um, like you guys, I'm hesitant that this is going to change uh, what other people do online, but I am hoping that the first big lawsuit or case or trial that happens around this piece of legislation, I'm hoping that signals to people that South Africa is not joking around when it comes to uh, cybercrime and abuse and harassment online. Um, like I mentioned already, it's very easy. It's very easy to put what happens on the internet into this box of, oh well, you know, it's just the internet. That is no longer the case, right? Our lives are online now. Um, our entertainment is online, and whether you agree that social media is entertainment or not, for some people it is. Scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and engaging with people is entertaining for people. And for you to think that the actions that you have online don't affect people, that's really, really, really narrow-minded. Um, for myself, it, it's just going to make me kind of think a little bit more about what I say online. 
um, which is something I already do. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it probably doesn't seem like that uh, because I just tweet whatever random nonsense is in my head. Um, but a lot of the time I do think to comment on things or tweet about things and I just hold back because it's, it's not necessary. And this legislation may, might make me think a little bit more about that. Um, if you're somebody who is catfishing people or uh, posting uh, photos of other people non-consensually, um, yeah, stop doing that because sooner or later the law is going to catch up to you. Um, and if you're a South African citizen, I, I think it's important to read this legislation and see what it is your rights are, right? Uh, I mean, we, I think we all know about the rights of freedom of speech, but this in, this introduces new things where you could possibly approach the police and say, this happened to me, what can you do? And action can be taken by the police. I'm talking ideal world here, ideal world scenarios here. I'm not saying that right now, today, the police are ready to and waiting to take your your uh, your reports about a tussle you had on social media or the fact that somebody is posting your photos online. Um, yeah, just I think as we progress and we move through this this legislation coming into full effect. Uh, Robin, did they mention when the full the full might of the law will be in effect? Uh, no, so there's no mention of that from okay. Wibble Wenzel's side. Um, it's, yeah, going to be one of those things you have to wait and see. Okay. Yeah, it's... As it, always. Yeah, <laughs> interesting times, though. I'm, I'm really glad to see this, uh, this piece of legislation becoming, coming into effect. Um, yeah, we'll have to see how it's used, man. I'm hopeful. I have a bit of hope for the first time. Like, usually... Usually I'd say like, nah, don't want to do that. But yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful this time around, especially because I've had incidents happen to me online and not like harassment or anything, but in terms of like, I've been hacked and not being able to report that or declare it to somebody really sucks. I am interested to see though, how many companies start reporting cybercrime. Hmm. We're watching you guys now. I have been since the fully fake, but now I'm watching you even closer. Right. I don't want to see, oh, we discovered a breach in January of 2019. Nah, that doesn't fly anymore. You've got to, be, you've got to disclose properly now. Um, does anybody have anything else they want to add in closing? Robin? No. Uh, no, just treat each other right online. Don't be... Yeah. <laughs> don't be a douche. Yeah. Um, do the right thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, just each other right. If you're not willing to say to the person in their on, in front of them in their face, then don't say it online. Uh, yeah. Clinton, anything to add? Uh, maybe keep those spicier tweets in the drafts. <laughs> yeah, just uh, don't don't hit publish. Read it a few more times. Leave it in the draft. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think that's going to do it from us for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be careful what you tweet. Be careful what you post online. Um, and if something happens, hey, maybe now you can report it to police. Can't get a protection on the road. But yeah. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, as always, my name is Brendan Locks. Thank you so much. Cheerio from Robin Nichetti. Take care, everybody. And Matos. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.